Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russian-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is September 24, 2023. It's been 3,498 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 213 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. Today's podcast looks back at the events that happened over the last two days. You can use our Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed today. You can find a link in the podcast's description. Let's start with the daily assessment. Due to Ukraine's successful attack on the Black Sea Fleet headquarters in Sevastopol, we believe there is a high risk of punitive missile and drone attacks targeting Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure within the next two to four days. The Russian Ministry of Defense remains in a chaotic state, incapable of creating mission cohesion between penal units, mobics, conscripts, elite forces and proxy forces. At the direction of President Vladimir Putin, the Russian government is in the largest purge of dissident voices and perceived internal enemies since the Soviet era, including the leaders, mercenaries and employees of PMC Wagner, objective state media journalists and war bloggers, far-right nationalists who want the Kremlin to take more aggressive action in Ukraine, and human rights activists. There remains a lingering possibility of partisan violence within Russia after the killings of Evgeny Prigozhin and Dmitry Utkin. President Putin's stature, both inside and outside of Russia, remains in a weakened state. Russian Chief of Staff Valery Gerasimov and Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu are some of the best allies available for the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense due to their acceptance of systemic corruption, political infighting, waste of military resources, and refusal to adapt to the realities within the theater of war. The sought response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border has further emboldened Moscow to take increasing risks, which could cause a significant international incident. The perceived slow progress of the ongoing Ukrainian offensive, questions about the capabilities of Ukrainian military commanders at the battalion and brigade level, and ongoing anti-corruption measures highlighting the problems within the Ukrainian government are unfairly straining Western support. Western partners are not meeting their promised military training, heavy equipment and ammunition delivery dates, and these continued delays are negatively impacting Ukraine's military capabilities. Despite these issues, the growing number of combat-ineffective and combat-destroyed Russian units has forced commanders to commit strategic reserves meant for a fall-winter counteroffensive into defensive operations. Additionally, due to declining combat potential, Russian commanders are activating the reserves from the second and third echelons of the Prigozhin and Surovikin lines. In our assessment, Russia will attempt to destroy Ukraine's energy infrastructure over the fall and winter. 
Finally, while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in the Donbass. In Luhansk, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian forces launched an attack in the area of Belohorivka, suffered losses and retreated to their previous defensive positions. Further south, in northeastern Donetsk, Russian forces continued to counterattack in the Klishivka area of operation, including north of Klishivka and east of Andreevka, without success. Ukrainian forces have made additional advances, but at this time we cannot provide specific information. In southwestern Donetsk, a video showed that Ukrainian forces had recaptured the water treatment plant southwest of Krutabalka near Andreevka. We had reports in June that the water treatment plant was back under Ukrainian control, but no visual confirmation. The video showed the Russian Aerospace Forces, or VKS, dropping a bomb on one of the buildings. It is unclear if there were any casualties. Based on the new intelligence, we updated the war map. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that positional fighting continued in Marienka with no change to the situation. And GSAFU reported a Russian attack east of Pobeda was unsuccessful. Ukrainian forces continue to advance in Zaporizhia, south of Urykhiv. Brigadier General Oleksandr Tarnavsky, commander of the Operational Strategic Group of Troops in the Tavria region, told the United States news agency CNN that Ukrainian forces, quote, have a breakthrough and we continue to advance further, not as fast as it was expected, not like in the movies about the Second World War. Tarnavsky added that the most pressing issue was not to lose the initiative, and he did not believe that colder weather in the fall and winter would have much impact. Fighting continued along the entire axis from west of Robotene, north and east of Novoprokopivka, along the Surovikin line following the 160-meter heights to the western edge of Verbove. Southwest of Verbove, new videos showed that Ukrainian forces had passed the main defensive and continued advancing east. While the tactical advances are significant, Russian forces have built a layered defense with another echelon near Romanivske and Ocheretuvate. A video that was geolocated showed that Ukrainian light infantry had reached Novoprokopivka but could not hold their position. A prominent Russian mail blogger reported intense fighting west of Robotene as Ukrainian forces worked to expand the flank. The war map was updated to show the new tactical gains. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, provided an update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP. Engineers have completed drilling 10 wells, providing groundwater to the sprinkler ponds, which cools the six reactors and spent fuel storage. A solution to provide a continuous cooling water supply had to be found after the Kachovka Dam was destroyed on June the 6th, draining the adjacent reservoir. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi said the on-site inspectors continued walkthroughs of the plant. 
inspection of the main control rooms of reactors 2, 5 and 6 confirmed that units 2 and 5 were in cold shutdown and number 6 was in hot shutdown. No new mines were observed during a perimeter walk, but the explosives placed in July remained. Inspectors also did not observe any heavy weapons in sight, but Director General Grossi did not indicate if the IAEA team could examine any of the turbine halls or maintenance areas. Rosatom and Russian occupiers continued to refuse to reconnect the radiation monitor system to the Internet. IAEA inspectors are using a portable backpack radiological monitoring system to take measurements and manually transmit the data twice a day. Grossi also expressed concern about the staffing levels of the NPP, saying, quote, a significant number of staff, unquote, have left. Off-site power is still provided by a single 750 kV line and a backup 330 kV line from the nearby Zaporizhia thermal power plant. Now let's talk about the Black Sea, including the countries of Romania and Bulgaria, occupied Crimea and the Mukulaev and Odessa regions. It was a very busy weekend on the temporarily occupied Crimea peninsula. Ukrainian Special Operation Forces, or SSO, completed Special Operation Crab Trap, destroying the headquarters of the Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol. The Crimean Tatar insurgent organization Atesh claimed they aided the attack by providing correction, indicating that they were tracking the movement of high-value targets. The insurgent organization also stated they were, quote, very grateful to the Ministry of Defense of the Russian Federation for the delay in payments, unquote, because it aided in gaining cooperation from Russian officers. Iranian and British dual citizen Russian propagandist Johnny Miller, who works for Iran's English-language press TV, captured two of the three Storm Shadow missiles that struck the headquarters building. The compound was hit by three missiles, all captured on video. Our subscriber-only daily situation report links to many of the pictures, videos and resources I discuss in today's report. You can subscribe to our Patreon for as little as $5 a month. There is a link in the podcast description and we offer a 7-day free trial. The British-provided Storm Shadow cruise missiles used in the attack are equipped with a Bomb Royal Ordnance Augmented Charge, or Broach, warhead. It has two charges, with the first meant to penetrate soil, concrete or other materials, and a secondary charge in a delayed fuse that causes additional damage after penetration. New satellite images released on Saturday showed the building is heavily damaged. The northern part suffered the worst damage, with the penetration of the interior visible even from space. The west wing was heavily damaged, and after our analysts reviewed satellite images from before the attack, the roof and at least parts of the top floor of the east wing were also damaged. Head of the Main Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or UHUR, Kirill Budanov, told The Voice of America, quote, Among the wounded is the commander of the group, Colonel General Alexander Romanchuk, in very serious condition. The chief of staff, Lieutenant General Oleg Tsekov, is unconscious. The number of casualties among ordinary military personnel who are not headquarters employees is still being established. We could not independently verify the status of either general. 
Colonel General Romanchuk is the commander of the ongoing Russian defense in Zaporizhia, and his loss would create a short operational pause for Russian forces due to their top-down command structure. Multiple Russian sources claim Black Sea Fleet Commander Admiral Viktor Sokolov was killed. Budanov did not mention Sokolov in his interview, and like Romanchuk and Tsekov, we could not independently verify the claim. Golaita Mikhail Razvazhaev, the illegitimate mayor of temporarily occupied Sevastopol, pushed back on complaints about the poor conditions of bomb shelters. Quote, Regarding shelters, I want to convey one more important point. Do not expect someone to come and stock up water there, install chairs, flooring or provide ventilation. It is impossible to improve all temporary shelters in this way. This requires billions. I emphasize that the shelters are temporary. These are not bomb shelters. They are needed mainly to protect from rocket fragments and broken glass. This also needs to be understood and accept." Unquote. After a series of missile strikes on military targets, frustrated Sevastopol residents shared videos and pictures of locked bomb shelters and empty rust-encrusted rooms. And yes, they're all linked in the situation report. Irina Voroshchuk, Ukraine's deputy prime minister and minister for reintegration on the temporarily occupied territories, appealed for Ukrainians living in Crimea to leave, saying, quote, wait for the liberation of the peninsula in Ukrainian-controlled territory or third countries. In my last war update, I told you our analysts were waiting for satellite images of Saki military airfield near Novofedorivka. Last week, Ukrainian officials stated they attacked the base with up to a dozen kamikaze drones, but made no claims about damage. A comparison of low-resolution images from September 13th, 18th and 21st showed no visible damage at Saki. However, the type of drones and who executed the attack was not specified. It remains possible that smaller quadcopters or Australian-designed flat-packed cardboard kamikaze drones were used. Shrapnel from a small drone could pierce the hulls of aircraft, but no satellite imaging source available to civilians could provide adequate resolution to confirm possible damage. So, our conclusion is – it's inconclusive. Near Odessa, two Russian Su-24 aircraft bombed Zmiyny Island, also known as Snake Island, in the second attack in a week. Our analyst team is unsure why the Russian VKS is interested in the rocky outpost. Have an update on events in western and central Ukraine. IAEA director General Grossi reported that on September the 21st the Rivne nuclear power plant reported a blackout due to the emergency shutdown of the 110 kV lines that provide off-site power to the plant. A Russian missile attack likely caused the outage. Off-site power was restored in less than an hour and emergency systems operated as designed according to the IAEA. Let's talk about important theater-wide events. The United States has appointed a team to review Ukraine's use of military aid, led by Pentagon Inspector General Robert Storch. 
Storch will work with the U.S. State Department and the U.S. Agency for International Development to oversee the distribution of United States monetary and military aid starting on October the 18th. President of the European Commission Ursula von der Leyen told the Washington Post, quote, Sooner or later, Ukraine will become part of the European Union, because it is unthinkable for Ukraine to remain between Russia and the EU. It is impressive how Ukrainians are reforming their country while fighting. I am amazed by the determination of Ukrainians to join the European Union." Unquote. We had previously reported that the EU would issue a favorable report on the candidacy status of Ukraine and Moldova in October and move both nations to the next phase of accession by the end of 2023. United States news agency NBC reported that US President Joe Biden has authorized sending a small quantity of Atakams missiles to Ukraine. They did not name their sources and the White House had not confirmed the report. However, the amount of coverage indicates that this has passed the rumor stage. What's going on in Russia? It's time for mobilization, Mobix and Mir. A leaked video showed a cargo plane full of zinc-lined coffins preparing to fly the remains of soldiers who died in Ukraine back to Russia, with the line of Russia Il-76 heavy transports behind the aircraft. The German Ministry of Internal Affairs reported that 3,500 Russian men had asked for political asylum to avoid conscription or mobilization since February 24, 2022. Only 90 requests were approved. Ex-PMC Wagner commander Andrei Medvedev, who fled to Norway on January 13, 2023, seeking political asylum, was arrested for attempting to cross the border into Russia illegally. Medvedev's lawyer Brynjul Frisnes said the situation was a misunderstanding. In an interview with Reuters Thompson, Risnes said his client only wanted to find where he entered Norway and was not fleeing. However, a day earlier, the Barents Observer wrote that Medvedev told reporters he believed he would be safer in Russia, fearing extradition to Ukraine. The results of Russia's illegal and staged elections in the occupied territories were reported today. Residents did not vote for their leaders, but lower, lower-level positions. For the illegitimate leaders of temporarily occupied Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia and Kherson, the vote was done by the regional consuls using a secret ballot. They were given three candidates to vote for, hand-selected by Russian President Vladimir Putin. It should come as no surprise that former beekeeper and collaborator Leonid Pasichnik, acting leader of the so-called Luhansk People's Republic, Former casino dealer and collaborator Denis Pushilin, acting leader of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, Russian collaborator Evgeny Balitsky, the illegitimate leader of occupied Zaporizhia, and collaborator Vladimir Salda, the illegitimate leader of occupied Kherson, won their respective elections. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov shattered years of Russian propaganda today, telling reporters, quote, of course, we recognize Ukraine's sovereignty back in 1991, based on the Declaration of Independence which Ukraine adopted after leaving the Soviet Union. The declaration contains many good things, including that they will respect the rights of national minorities, respect the rights of Russian and other languages. Russian is directly mentioned there. 
Then all this was included in the Constitution of Ukraine, but in the Declaration of Independence, one of the main points for us was that Ukraine would be a non-aligned country, would not join any military alliances. In that addition, under those conditions, we support the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Quick assessment. I could make this a two-hour podcast explaining everything factually wrong with just that portion of Lavrov's statement, but I will stick to one critical point. Ukraine had no aspirations to join the NATO alliance in 2014, when Russia started its war of aggression. Lavrov wasn't done destroying Russian propaganda, which repeatedly claims that the Kremlin is ready for peace negotiations and Ukraine is the barrier. He went on to say, quote, Since they want to solve the issue on the battlefield, it means that it will be on the battlefield. Unquote. Our war crimes and human rights section sometimes discusses graphic details of human rights abuses and crimes against humanity. Today's report includes detailed information about torture. If you're sensitive to these topics, you can skip to a special end to today's podcast. In an interview with the UK publication The Times, British national and former POW John Harding talked about his experience in Russian captivity. During his interview, he compared Russian soldiers to ISIS. Quote, One day, they put me in a cell. Four guys came down, opened the cell door, put a bag over my head, pulled me out, and beat me for 20-25 minutes. They beat the crap out of me. They didn't ask me a single question. The torture session broke his tailbone and all of his ribs. Harding had fought with the Kurdish People's Defense Units in Syria against ISIS in 2017 and 2018. He went on to say, quote, I would say the brutality of the Russian regular army is worse than ISIS. The Russian army made ISIS look like a bunch of damn Boy Scouts. I don't want to end today's podcast with that image in your head. So, I want to share with you what we are fighting for. <laughs> That's from a video showing a little girl sitting on a bench enjoying our early fall weather. The joyful cry of Papa is her surprise to see her father with the Buddha service returning home after three months on the front lines. She races across the sidewalk into his arms, and they melt together. You don't need to be a subscriber to see this video. I've posted it on our X, formerly Twitter, and the link is in the podcast description. And that's what happened on September the 22nd and the 23rd. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.